Blog Talk Radio. Welcome everyone to the Healthcare Whisperer Radio Show, your source for valuable healthcare information and your champion for healthcare solutions. I'm your host, Hari Kalsa, patient advocate, nurse practitioner, and president of Healthcare Whisperer, Inc., And Healthcare Whisperer, Inc. is a patient advocacy company. You can find me on Twitter at HariK108 or on Facebook at HariKulsa. You can also go to my website at www.healthcarewhisperer.com. Uh, The Healthcare Whisperer Show is about uh, providing information about current and critical healthcare issues. As I like to say, everyone has a story. And when it comes to healthcare, there are so many stories. And there are so many experiences that people really want to talk about, about navigating the system, from insurance issues to medical visits to elder care, And like today, uh, talking about undiagnosed and rare diseases. There's just so much to talk about, and I totally love to hear and get information from their experience and also from their expertise. We have people from patients to professionals to writers to people, patient safety people. So this is a show where you can get a lot of information. I also want to remind everyone that the deadline for enrolling and in, 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 in getting health insurance is March 31st. There still is time to enroll online or call. I know in Massachusetts, where I'm living currently, it's actually better to call than try the website because the website, although it used to be really great, is now a disaster. So don't forget, if you've just been putting it off, it's getting close and it's going to get, you're, you're going to be on hold longer if you, if you wait too long. So today we're going to, I, I'm really excited about this. I, I always feel lucky when I have Mary Elizabeth Parker on because I, she's just so incredible. Her work Uh, You know, as you know, she's been on before. She's a Ph.D. physical therapist, and that's only the beginning because she has dedicated her life to helping people with rare and undiagnosed illnesses. She is the co-founded the not-for-profit group called You Are Our Hope, which is an amazing organization that really helps people in their journey to find answers for their loved ones, their children or their, you know, their spouses or their siblings. Uh, when they can't find an answer about a health problem. Much of her work is with children, and her devotion is just so inspiring. We also have calling in uh, Sue Rutledge, who is calling in from the Netherlands, and she is another, uh, she hasn't been on the show before, but it's very inspiring. She has a very inspiring story, and her advocacy for the undiagnosed is 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 also very inspiring and and heart and and heartwarming to see such devotion and commitment uh to helping others. Also we have on uh later in the show Heather Long 
who I'm, you know, she was on before, and I'm very excited to hear what she has to say because she's, um, uh, she's been working with the legislature to get a bill passed, and I want to hear an update. But this today we're going to be talking about uh, what went on at the rare, last week was uh, Rare Disease Week, and there was an incredible amount of activity in, in Washington. There was a whole week of uh, events from uh, conferences to lectures to going up to the Capitol. So I think I'm, I'm very excited to find out what's going on. So without further ado and listening to me go on and on, I am going to bring on first uh, <clears throat> Mary Elizabeth Parker. So welcome to the show, and thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Well, I'm delighted to participate. Like uh, you said, last week was amazing, and I don't think we'll be coming down off the high for quite a while. Well, that, that's great. That's great. So um, tell us uh, what it was. Tell us a little bit about the whole event. I mean, who runs it? How, 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 is this something that happens every year? Give us the skinny on it. Right. It is a wonderful collaboration by many partners to, to, to pull this off. And I, I could sit here and, and I will just give you all a few of the names of, of the, the supporters. The Every Life Foundation um, that Dr. Emil Kakas um, runs is just amazing, and they really helped fund and support this. We also had uh, the Rare Disease group, Global Genes. I mean, I could go on and on and on, and it was a class act all the way around, and the amount of work that all of these people did and the amount of, uh, of personal funding by a lot of the supporters um, was very evident. And uh, so we started out with a group meeting on Monday, and I think what was most meaningful to me was to be in a room with approximately 140 advocates that represented, you know, between 70 and 100 different groups. But we all had a single purpose, and we all joined together. And that is something I'd really like to stress. In the undiagnosed and rare disease community, we have to work together. What is interesting, and I always like to give some facts, because people like facts, that um, rare diseases impact more people than AIDS and cancer combined. I had no idea. I had no wow. idea. Like, and, like, like yeah. that's pretty an amazing statement, you know, that because everyone thinks cancer is the big killer, you know, and, and that there's, you know, HIV and AIDS is also. But so that's, that's pretty amazing to think of that, that people who walk around who have undiagnosed from children to adults, that there's more people with that than anything else. Yeah, and I think something will help balance out in, in that understanding is, we were discussing right now, we currently have about 7,200 distinct types of rare and genetic diseases identified. So when you think about that, if you take that 72 or 7,400, you know, depending on where you're, you're referencing, and you multiply that by the people affected, that's how we get these numbers. And I can say from the perspective of being the medical liaison for You Are Our Hope, being able to move those undiagnosed into the rare um, is helpful because that is our goal is, is to have everybody have an identity. And why that's important, and we talked a lot about that last week, was that 
you know, once you have an identity, you can get better uh, insurance coverage, and most importantly, you can get treatments. And what I found so, so inspiring was so many of these individuals and parents or family members who had fought um, and fought the good fight in a very positive way um, to lobby Congress, to get the FDA to release drugs, to, I mean, work together, you know, once they had a diagnosis and it was rare, a lot of these medications aren't easily found or these treatments. So again, to meet these people who were so strong and so goal-oriented but wanted to work with us and we all wanted to work together. And I think, um, you know, Harry, you and I have spoken uh, previously about this. I was not... I thought I was going to go up there and just do my job, <laughs> and uh, what uh, I was not prepared for was just the great expenditure of emotional energy. Hearing these stories and hearing these these triumphs was truly, at the end of the day, sometimes you just had to go and, and be quiet and reflect because I, I always knew people were doing good works, but to, to have all of uh, many of them in one place was just incredible. Right, and it sounds like there are sort of people that focus on different aspects of the needs of the community. I mean, it's uh, if you said like people who are focused on getting these drugs to market and affordable to people, you know, and, and so people who are really focused on the FDA, you know, because that takes a lot of energy alone to try to deal with that department, as well as I mean, there's people who are very politically, you know, focused on getting the politicians. And there's also just, you know, people who are trying to get through day to day and how do we all work together to make this all happen. Right. And what was really interesting, Hari, is in some of our small group sessions, especially when we um, were getting ready to go meet with the staff of our various congressmen, was to hear exactly that. You know, everybody had a different story, whether they were a parent or, um, you know, a person with a rare disease. Um, everybody came with a different tilt, but again, we were all working for the common goal. And the positive energy and and trying to find correct and honest solutions to some of the roadblocks, that was so nice. There wasn't bashing. You know, we, we all get frustrated. You get frustrated if you're in a clinical trial and then you want the drug release because you see improvement. And, right. and, and that is frustrating. Um, we are frustrated sometimes with the government structures that, you know, many people see impeding, and, and sometimes they are, um, treatments. Uh, but we talked a lot about, the, there was one day morning that we just, you know, basically had FDA conversations, and what is the cost-benefit ratio? If they release a drug too quickly, um, and we don't realize that it has some really negative side effects, then, you know, what are what are what, what are the risks there? But I'll tell you, some of the most impassioned talks were of families who these treatments are not going to save their family members, um, but they are improving quality of life. And I remember one mom very poignantly said during our FDA discussion, her child has a rare form of SMA, which is spinal muscle atrophy, and they're in a trial, and her daughter's doing really, really well. But they're going to stop it because they're worried it's going too quickly and there may be negative side effects down the road. Well, her child isn't going to be alive down the road. And, right, and so right, for her, right. she's like, quality of life now is what I'm worried about. You know, if she gets a secondary issue, if she's, it's probably not, it's going to be a non-issue. And so there's that, there's that delicate balance um, that, you know, you have to kind of, I mean, it's a dance. And, and those, but those stories were just so inspiring and, you know, made 
made those, uh, Heather and I were both there, and we will have a board meeting of you, I hope, and then we'll share this with our group. But it made us realize we were in the right place. And, and to have people like uh, Jeff Leader um, has fought Congress and worked very, in a very positive way. When I say fight, he's a very positive man. Um, he has two sons with Hunter syndrome, which is a rare um, metabolic disorder, um, and he has formed a foundation called Let Them Be Little. And to watch him embrace us and say, oh, my gosh, I did not know you were there. So many families contact me now, and now I have a place to send them. Because if they don't yeah. have Hunter syndrome, you know, he's focused on what his children have, and that's understandable. Um, but, you know, he, he and I have already talked on the phone, and, you know, we're going to help him with some of these other cases. And, and again, that was just incredible collaboration and, and, and an unexpected benefit of this trip. I, I, I don't think I really knew what to expect. But it was, you know, meeting individuals like him and um, Dean Steer from the MLD Foundation. You know, I have a lot of interest in the leukodystrophies and the lysosomal storage disorders. So being able to, to share that information was uh, really great and, and to know that we're in the right place. Right, and it's always really exciting when you go. I mean, you, you and I go to conferences, and, you know, we sort of almost expect what's going to happen. It's really very exciting when you go somewhere to a conference. And, and you sort of alluded to this. It was not – it was more than you could imagine. It was, so, it was such an enlightening moment, uh, event for you, and opened your eyes and gave you a lot to think about that, that that's – that's that in itself is a wonder is a wonderful experience, and I can imagine hearing these stories and um, you know, like I said at the beginning, everybody had the stories that people have mm-hmm. to tell. It, it's what move it's what moved me to start the show, but it also moves me to help because it helps others. You know, just hearing. I mean, if there's somebody and people go to my site after, and you put it on your site, and they listen just to know that there's other people out there who are experiencing or having the journey is very difficult for them. And that's one thing that your hope offers to people. It, like, almost picks you up. The people in here picks you up and says, okay, we're going to help you find, we're going to do what we can to help you find some answers or at least direct you. I mean, we can't give you the answers, but we can help you. And that's what people, when they feel so alone, you know, and, and so that's what you offer, and it sounds like that's what this event offered to you in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, I, I got back, you know, a hundredfold, you know, what I was able to give. But, again, meeting the families and uh, – yeah, we were just we were just kind of it was just a high like I had never experienced, but at the same time, such it, it, truly emotionally draining. And and again, I wasn't prepared for that. One thing else I'd like to say, Hari, and, and last week was so momentous, or the last two weeks have been, is I would you know like to tell the listeners that um, the week before last, the uh, trailer for a movie that many of our families have participated in um, was released, and and we'd like people to go to that site, which is www.undiagnosedfilm.com, and you will, uh, you will recognize Face Hari if you haven't seen the trailer yet. Well, you'll recognize oh, no, Face I've, it. I've seen it. I've seen it, and I encourage everyone to see it. Yes. Yeah, so we are really excited that that's in the works, and um, I will actually be going back out to Park City, Utah in uh, two weeks. Uh, the gracious film... Uh, producers have uh, orchestrated a camp for families with undiagnosed disorders, and we're going to go out there and kind of celebrate 
um, the trailer being released and, and work with these families, and I, I'm real honored to be included in that. And just I, I think I posted something on Facebook the other day. I said 2014 is going to be the year for people with undiagnosed and rare disorders because their voice is going to get heard. And this movie may not get released in 2015, but I can tell you the momentum right now, um, both in Washington and just I think nationally, people are getting it, and we're getting a lot more um, – you know, media exposure, which is not necessarily, you only want it if, it, if it's positive, but um, I, I think finally people are kind of kind of getting it. Well, as I sent to you that link to CNN, they had that nice article uh, on their website about, um, from from the event, you know, someone from CNN, right. you know, from the, about, you know, stories about people who, with children who had been searching for answers for the for, for their undiagnosed children, so uh, I think you're right in that it is it is getting out there, and this movie will do nothing. This documentary, nothing but open people's eyes. And I'm back. Something you said earlier about um, you know them stopping taking stopping the clinical trial. I remember that from my working early on in HIV. It was the same kind of thing. You know, Pete, they would stop clinical trials. A lot of times they would stop it because it was working so well, but a lot of times they would just stop it, and it was the same kind of thing. Well, you know, just give it to me because we don't know how long. No one knew at that time how long, you know, what could work and didn't work. So I, I understand that experience, and it's devastating. And it's, you know, people need people need to have these drugs, and it is a fine balance. But um, I wanted to bring on... Um, uh, Sue, and I don't think I gave a very good introduction because she has a uh, very interesting story, uh, Sue Rutledge, uh, about her son. That's how she got I didn't mention him, and I apologize. Um, that's how she started this journey with her son, Christopher, who was undiagnosed uh, until he was 16. And I'll let her give a little bit of information about that, and I'm really grateful that she's taken the time. So let me bring her on. Um, Uh, Sue, hi. hi. This is Hari. I'm so glad that you could call in. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Can you hear uh, me? Yeah, no, we're good. We're good. We might have a little delay over the ocean, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so why don't you, you know, uh, I, I would really like it if you could just spend a few minutes talking about how, about your son Christopher and how you got involved in this incredible incredible community of the rare and undiagnosed uh, children and people? Um, well, Christopher's 22 now. Um, when he was born, um, we didn't really know there was anything uh, amiss, but uh, we, we, both my husband and I were quite worried from early days and certainly by four months. But it was a year before um, we could actually convince anybody else that there was anything not going right, um, even though he wasn't sitting, wasn't reaching out, out for anything. Um, and he went through a lot of genetic tests then. Uh, we were living in Munich at the time because of my husband's job. Um, and the genetic report came back in German, obviously. Um, and when you're trying to read something like that, pages and pages and pages, you know, it, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> so right. um, uh, friends encouraged us to take Christopher back to London uh, to be checked out there at the Great Ormond Street Hospital. Um, and uh, they also did tests. 
um, and nothing was found. But nothing would have been found because, unfortunately, the test wasn't going to be available for another few years. <laughs> um, we also took him to the States, um, to Portland, where a friend uh, knew there was a very you know, good hospital there where her son had been. Um, right. <clears throat> and uh, eventually uh, we moved to um, Holland for my husband's job as well. Um, and we uh, got known at the local uh, teaching hospital, the Leiden University Medical Centre, and it was there that he was diagnosed. But he was thought to have Angelman syndrome by all four hospitals, but we didn't, didn't feel it fitted. Um, and he was also tested at Leiden for male Rex syndrome, and that came back negative as well. But because of that, because he'd had these uh, tests for Angelman syndrome over the years, and male Rett syndrome. When a new research project came open in 2007 to um, look at Pitt-Hopkins syndrome, maybe <laughs> uh, because they had, uh, were developing a blood test, he was one of the first to be put into that. And uh, we literally got a phone call two weeks before he was 16, telling, well, my husband got the telephone call. I was in England at the time. I got a text from him, uh, but telling us <laughs> that uh, he had something called Pitt Hopkins syndrome, um, which those, you know, then was quite unusual to hear um, that you've got, your child has something without ever having heard about it before, because normally you know they're going to be tested. But in fact, that's happening to quite a few people now with the whole XM sequencing. Lots of people are actually literally just being told they have Pitt Hopkins their child has Pitt Hopkins syndrome when even the geneticist who's telling them doesn't know anything about it um, because it's so rare. <laughs> so uh, though at first we were quite unusual, in, I think the last, uh, last year or so it, we've not, we're not so unusual in literally just getting um, a phone call or a letter saying. <laughs> right, right, uh, right, yeah, right. Okay, this is what you have. Thank you. <laughs> and then they sort of say, good luck, right? <laughs> this is what your son or your yeah. child has. Good luck. Thank you. We we did our part, right? I mean, that's kind of what happens. Well, it, uh, the geneticist had told us, I mean, when we got to see her, um, she very kindly gave us, um, well, we had said, is there anybody else? Can you give our details if anybody else contacts you? And she was able to give us um, details of another family who unbelievably live three miles from us in wow. Holland, um, we're a Dutch family, and you know, here we are, we move from Munich to Lon back to London, from London back to Holland, and we, li we move three miles away, five kilometers, kilometers away from another family. I mean, that still completely <laughs> blows me out, that, you know, so that coincidence, but we're always finding coincidences in our Pitt Hopkins community. But, um, well... Right, um, you know what's in, what's interesting is that we had I had someone else on um, last a couple times ago when Mary Elizabeth, the the person uh, I think from Sweden, and what didn't the same thing happen that after they discovered what their son had, or you know they were there were other people nearby. So Mary Elizabeth, am I correct? Yeah, on that? so that's what it, we're we're seeing that a lot here in Texas, and I think maybe you were talking. Well, we have a family here in Austin that they got the diagnosis of Costello, and they told them, you know, oh, there may be 300 in the world, and we and they found six in Texas. Well, that means there are more than 300 in the world if there's six right, in Texas. Right, right, right. So, right. yeah, and I think Sue and I were speaking about this the other weekend, um, is that, you know, now that, and, and that's 
Sue, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of why you're trying to get more information out. All of these individuals that they suspected, particularly of Rett syndrome and Engelman, because we know more of it, you know, we, those are more common than, you know, some of the other ones we discussed. You know, that's the advocacy part. Hey, if, 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 if MECP2 comes back negative for Rett and CDLK5 and all the others that are Rett-like, and then the Engelman comes back negative, you know, Pitt Hopkins is, is, is probably a good option. And then I would stress, and this is just from where I come from, that if it looks like one of those tests all at the same time, you know, just go on and do it. Instead of this piecemeal that we see all the time, test one, wait six months, test one, wait. Because, you know, we don't, we can't look in the DNA with our eyes. We're going to have to test. So, you know, you know, do it in one blood draw and let's be done with it if, if you have well, a good lead. And 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 Sue and and Mary Elizabeth, that's why your you know your groups are so important because that information, like most people, are going to just do what their geneticist or doctor may say. But the experiences that you have, especially Sue, you being on the ground, you know, having a child, and Mary Elizabeth, you oh you know watching this process. You know, it's your organizations are so important to help people move faster in getting what they want. So, um, uh, Sue, in light of that, why don't you talk about your organization that you started? Well, I didn't start an organization. Um, I, with oh. another another family, I uh, we started a, a Google support group. Oh, okay. Um, but I'm sorry. then. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but then the, the organization, the, the uh, Pitt Hopkins uh, Research Foundation, is actually you know, a group of parents. That's, uh, uh, but Teresa and I set up a support group, uh, then developed into a network, and then Audrey um, and her husband Eric joined us about almost two years ago now, um, and um, they have actually set up an, um, uh, a lot of um, work into uh, finding, uh, funding research and finding researchers to look into Pitt-Hopkins syndrome, which has been really exciting. I mean, uh, yeah, the energy Audrey has had to, to do this has been uh, absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, Teresa and Audrey have been uh, setting up, um, yeah, all, of, all, this, uh, all, all the uh, very complicated things of getting uh, a 501.3 or... <laughs> 501 yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, organize, uh, so that we can, uh, as a group, uh, fundraise and, um, you know, having a, setting up a scientific um, committee to look, advisory committee to look at different research projects and decide which, which way, to, you know, which ones to take, which ones will um, come together well. And, uh, uh, but, you know, also we have this community um, through the internet, main, mainly through Google, Facebook, um, to uh, you know, give support to one another. And uh, we tend to, I think, forget sometimes how rare our children are because we're all together so much right, you know, right. every day. Um, right, right. And but saying so, that, there are, must be many, many children out there who are not, not only are undiagnosed but are diagnosed but yet haven't actually found us um, so, so how at the do moment, they find we, you? How do they find you on Google? On Google? They just Google Pitt Hopkins. What, is there a, is there a particular way that? Yeah. How do they find your group? 
Well, originally, um, the, the first way any of us found was that I, I contacted contact a family in the UK, and they suggested I put a message on the Inspire board, though I don't think it was called that then. Um, and you can put a message there, for, and I literally put a message saying, my son is uh, just being diagnosed with Hopkins syndrome, and I'm trying to find some other families. Uh, one person replied, um, so a few days later, and together there was just Brandy and I talking to one another um, for the next five months, and then Teresa and another mom, Jess, found us, um, and that's when we set up the Google group um, because you know there's more than two of us. <laughs> right, um, right. At that point, the only way people could find us was either looking at Contact a Family's website or looking um, at, at in the Inspire site and finding our messages. Um, but then uh, Teresa set up a website, and now I think most people come through the website, and that's pithopkins.org. Um, oh. Okay, so that's good. So they can find you, and there's a link for that support group, because there's nothing like support groups. And I encourage anyone who's listening or listens to this after to, to contact, to go to the Pitt Hopkins, that's P-I-T-T Hopkins, H-O-P-K-I-N-S, yeah dot org dot com do you yeah. know uh and uh there'll be, a, yeah, there'll be a link there for you and i really encourage you because this is when you know it's so overwhelming as as you know sue and and mary elizabeth's experiences with a lot of her clients and families how overwhelming and lonely it can be as a caregiver you know, and how frightening. And I can imagine your support group is so important. Is that right, well, think, is it? Yeah, well, it certainly is to me, and I know it is to many other people. Um, and, uh, yeah, just any question any of us have, we, we, we basically are learning about Pitt Hopkins together because, um, you know, there's, a, there's uh, research papers written, um, but certainly when Christopher was diagnosed, um, there was only one paper, really. Well, one that described what Pitt Hop, Dr. Pitts and Dr. Hopkins, um, you know, the first patients they found. But until that blood test was developed in 2007, I think there were only seven people diagnosed between 1978 and 2007. So in 2007, when we were looking for information, there just wasn't any. Right, but, right. Um, what we're, what we're trying to do is, is uh, well, and what we have done on the website so far, Teresa's put together what, what we do know so far, and we're trying to collate also information from one another to really get a, a broader idea of what uh, Pitt Hopkins um, is, because um, as more and more children are being diagnosed through the whole XM sequencing, you're, we're finding children that probably wouldn't have been diagnosed just by their uh, that what they were doing at the moment because of what's been written about Pitt Hopkins syndrome. We're trying to finding it's a much broader spectrum of abilities. Right, and, and somebody uh, has to yeah. know to look for it. I mean, the sequencing allows people to look for it, right? I mean, that's and sequencing is what we mean is for those who don't really understand, it's genetic testing. It's the sequencing <clears throat> of the gene genetic genes. Correct, Mary Elizabeth? Right, right. Yes, the whole exome sequencing looks at about twenty-two thousand. Um, uh, uh, parts of our DNA, and they're the protein encoding parts. 
So, you know, it, it, it's been very valuable, and, and I don't want to derail the conversation, but I want to say we also have families coming back with mutations of what they call variants of unknown significance. And so we, we have to work with them, but that's a separate discussion for another show. But if, if whole exome sequencing doesn't find it, then there are research studies that can do the whole genome. So that's the protein encoding plus all the support DNA. And so that's what we are really encouraging families. If they don't find something on exome, um, then to go on to whole genome. But um, can I ask a question of Sue? How common is whole exome sequencing being paid for in, in your area of the world? In my area of the world, I know certainly in the UK, they're not using it at all. I don't think from what I've, when I've spoken to one geneticist I know, I think they're using uh, something called DDD, and I'm, um, I'm not quite sure what it's, I have read what it stood for, but I can't remember. Um, the problem in the UK um, is that uh, funding and unfortunately, they won't like do a panel of tests like they are in some places in the states, because um, they're they're doing it one by one, um, waiting for that result to come back, just because mm -hmm. of the cost. Um, right. In Europe, it's I'm not so sure. Yeah. Yeah. In in yeah, it, it varies from place to place. I mean, we were part of a research project here, but. Um, our, our health insurance probably would have covered it if a geneticist felt it was necessary. But again, you've got to get it past the geneticist. Um, and again, they may very well have funding issues or it might be complicated. Um, but I, yeah. So the point that I'm, I'm, I'm always I'm not quite sure in different countries. <laughs> so what really Sorry? fascinates me, what really fascinates me uh, from getting to know Mary Elizabeth and the rare disease and undiagnosed community is the learning curve for you as someone who comes into this situation who has no medical, I mean, I assume you had no real medical knowledge, and all of a sudden you had to hit the ground running and trying to find answers for your son. So, I mean, I, I really am awed by the, what you, you're taught, you talk about this as if I would talk to my medical colleague, <laughs> you know, and I, and I think, wow, and then, and then you, you guys sometimes, um, I hear you talking, I go, you know, I'm not 100% sure what they're talking about, and I'm a medical person. So I really take my, I should say my turban off, but, you know, my hat's off to to you, Sue, for being so, you know, I mean, I, it must have been just an amazing journey for you to, to just dig in and try to find answers. Well, I think that you know, so many years we, we, we searched for answers and kind of accepted that we weren't going to, get any further because we were told that um, I think we were told something like 6% of, of children would remain undiagnosed but of course this was you know quite a few years ago and there have been many many changes but um, certainly since we got a diagnosis for Christopher um, I've wanted to understand more about it so that I can explain it to other people that ask me when they when they first got their diagnosis for their child um, and yeah, when Teresa and I have looked back at some of our early messages when we were asking one another questions on the group, we're quite, we kind of think, oh dear, did we really think that, you know, <laughs> because we, we understand it a little bit more now. Um, well, you should say those because I bet they're precious and when you write the book, 
when you write the book about the journey, you'll need to put those in. Um, I think we've got Heather on the line here, and I'd like to bring her on at this point. She's been holding for a bit, so please don't be angry here. Uh, Heather, uh, hello, caller. Is that you, Heather? Yes, it is me. Hi. Sorry to keep you on for on hold for so long. I'm just really glad that you could call in. Um, so uh, you're here with Mary Elizabeth and Sue Relish, and well, I'm very excited that you're on. Yes. No, I, I don't worry about keeping me on hold. I was very enthralled with the conversation that was going on. Um, you know, it's very interesting. <laughs> So let me ask you this. I've been dying to ask you. I know that you've been involved in the legislature part. Can you update us on what's going on there? I mean, you're always up to something. So what's the new? What give us? Give us something new for my show, so I can tell I got it first. Okay. Well, um, last week it was <laughs> yeah. Last Friday was Rare Disease Day, and um, Mary Elizabeth and I traveled to Washington D.C. Uh, we were there for the entire week for taking in various. Uh, activities, you know, that that uh, were involved with, where other rare disease patient advocates were involved. I mean, it was just, it was a whirlwind week. It was, you know, early mornings, late nights. Um, it was, you know, physically and mentally exhausting. I came out of there saying, you know, if tears were pounds, I would be anorexic, you know, <laughs> just because... I, I, you know, and it was crying for a good way, you know, and it just, um, that, that whole week up there, it just, it really impressed upon me the need for collaboration amongst all uh, rare disease groups, you know, and nonprofit organizations and researchers and stakeholders and parents because, you know, it is, because it is a rare disease, there aren't, there, the numbers are small. And so small numbers aren't really effective when it comes to advocating for change. And it's only when you have the numbers uh, that are, you know, you bring the people together and increase the numbers that we become more effective. And all of the advocates that were there with us shared the same goal of collaborating with each other and sharing each other's stories and helping each other out. It was, it was amazing. Um, uh, every all of the advocates. The, this was made possible through a group called RDLA, which is Rare Disease Legislative Advocates. They have a website, um, and they organized um, a day Wednesday. They they arranged for all of the advocates to have meetings up on Capitol Hill with uh, either their member of Congress, their representative, or their senator, and if they weren't available, um, their staffers. And right. they were given the opportunity to go in there. Um, and discuss their case, share, share their stories, and also advocate for legislation that, you know, is important to the, both the rare disease and the undiagnosed community because, really, rare diseases, the rare disease community and the undiagnosed community go hand in hand. There's a reason why we're, you know, our patients or our children or our loved ones are undiagnosed, and it's most likely because it is a rare disease. Um, right. On average, it takes seven plus years for a patient with a rare disease to get a diagnosis, and along that way, they may receive numerous misdiagnoses, or and they see multiple specialists. Um, so, it, it we you know it's just a, it's a large community. It was very effective. My son's bill um, 
you know, right now it's uh, HR 1591. It's the Cal Undiagnosed Diseases Research and Collaboration Network. This is the second session that it's been introduced by Representative John Carter in Texas, who uh, is the main sponsor of the bill. And it was, it was a successful week because we picked up three new co-sponsors as a result of the, av uh, the advocating of these, these uh, people that came together. And it was just, I was honored and touched by people willing, being, you know, that were willing to go to their representatives or their staffers and talk about Cal's bill and say, hey, you know what, I support this and we want you to support it. We want you to co-sponsor. And that's what it's all about is getting people involved getting the advocates together um, and getting them involved in the legislative process and um, because they're, 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 you know, their voices count and their representatives hopefully will listen to them because that's what their job is. Um, and it just, um, it, was, it was a good week. And I, I'm confident, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthused and uh, got my spirit renewed to see so much interest and support for my son's bill, um, for those uh, you know, for those listening in for the first time, you know, if you don't, if you'll just grant me a little bit of leeway here to give a brief history about the bill and why it's so important to the rare and undiagnosed community, is my son Cal passed away in 2006 of an undiagnosed disease. He is still undiagnosed despite extensive genetic testing, including whole exome sequencing. Um, but while Cal was alive, I struggled and as did his primary care physician, to find um, colleagues who had handled or had experience with experience handling similar cases um, because we couldn't believe that Cal was the only one that presented with the signs and symptoms that he had. But there is no network in place to facilitate that, that uh, type of searching for colleagues handling similar cases or to help physicians find each other and collaborate on these, on these undiagnosed cases. So after Cal passed away, I started in 2008 um, promoting the creation of such a network that would allow a physician who is caring for an undiagnosed patient to register his or her case, and then that network would uh, match that, you know, that case with other cases that are similar and allow the doctors to find each other and if, make it... For simplicity's sake, it's basically just kind of like your eHarmony or your Match.com for physicians. You know, I'm just trying <laughs> right. to help them make the love connection. Right. Um, so, but, so one of the most amazing things I'm hearing out of this is that you got three more co-sponsors. In this in this climate, political climate, it's very difficult to get any, you know, to to get it. And this is a issue that really crosses party lines. I mean, it it, it is. It's it bipartisan and it's bicameral. Yeah, so it's so who who were the ones that co sponsored that added to it that, that Yeah, well that I would they um the two new co the three new co sponsors are Representative Rob Whitman, um, in Virginia's first uh first district, uh Pete Gallego, Texas, uh District twenty three, and Jim Gerlock, uh Pennsylvania District six. Um they joined the existing co sponsors, uh Gus Villarakis in Florida, Michael Burgess in Texas, Phil Gingrey in Georgia, Peter King out of New York, Michael McCall from Texas, Charles Rangel from New York, Jackie Spear from California, and Peter Welch from Vermont. Wow. Now, so, Go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, no, just tell us how it's going to pre- – I, I just want to know where we are. I mean, so you've got these co-sponsors. It's in committee? Yeah, well, it's in, it was referred down to the health subcommittee, and really it needs to um, – the committee, I guess, will need to have a hearing on it if it gets that far. But in order to ensure the success of the bill moving forward, it has to have, uh, you know, good support from co-sponsors, you know, it's as great as it is that we have three more, we really do need more. So if I would encourage our listeners, if they want more information about the bill, you know, I'm, they, you can find it on the Thomas Library website, HR 1591. But we, I encourage you to call your representatives and tell them you want them to co-sponsor the bill because that's really what it takes is the Congress people, the members of Congress have to hear from their constituents. They have to know right. that they, you know, that they have a stake in the game. Otherwise, they're like, well, why should I be interested in that bill? You know, right, 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 you know, right. You what is it? What's the in pressure. it for me? Yeah, you have right. to apply and, the pressure. And, of course, after watching House of Cards, I'm a little bit like, whoa, you really <laughs> got to find the right person to do that. <laughs> I don't know if you've watched right. that show. Anyway, I just got this uh, message uh, from someone who wanted to know, who's listening, and wanted to know, um, and any one, three of you can answer this, and you probably all have different places, but... Uh, is there a list of questions or website for the undiagnosed individual? You know, that's funny you should ask that because, um, you know, I was just thinking about it. You, um, the NIH's website for the Undiagnosed Diseases Program that they have lists, um, res- has a list of resources on their webpage, but um, it's, the, the area is growing because interest in undiagnosed is getting bigger. It's now like the, last year when I was on Capitol Hill, undiagnosed wasn't a topic. This year it was a topic of conversation. Um, it's kind of like the in vogue thing now. Um, you have there's a greater interest in it, and um, because it's there is a recognized unmet need. The NIH had the Undiagnosed Diseases Program, which they started in 2008, and just recently, last year, the NIH Common Fund um, granted millions of dollars for the creation of an Undiagnosed Diseases Network. Um, Harvard Medical School was just awarded the position of coordinating center, so they're going to be the ringleader of this network. And this summer, um, they are planning to uh, announce the five to seven clinical sites uh, awards. You know, who, you know, there, there's, so there's going to be five to seven clinical sites that are part of this network, and Harvard is going to be the reading leader. That's one resource. And then um, another one has come into existence, just in, into existence just recently, and that's the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Um, they now have an undiagnosed diseases program. Uh, Dr. Korf is the director of that program. Um, okay. And I'm collecting a list, so you know it's they're growing. The point is okay, that the and, list is and growing. also I mean besides all that, uh, what about in 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 Europe, uh, Sue? Is there anything that that you have over there that I mean you must meet other people who have uh, children of undiagnosed, you know, not Pitt Hopkins. Where, what do you tell them when when they when when you meet them? Well, what what should they do? 
Um, I think there's um, there's two groups of um, syndrome without a name, which I think is also in the States, but it's also in the UK. Um, and there's also uh, Unique, um, which is a, a, uh, an organization set up with, by um, a mother quite a few years ago that I think lots of people go to um, to um, find out about what's going on with testing and, and uh, um, you know, hearing about other rare syndromes which their child might might possibly have. Um, which I, uh, otherwise, I mean, over the years, I, I was on something called Our Kids, um, which was sort of, it was, it's a, a listserv in the States, but, but it has people from all over the world. And again, there would be some children on there, parents of children that were undiagnosed, as well as with many different diagnoses. And uh, you kind of just sort of, um, like we mentioned Costello syndrome um, earlier. Uh, on that site, our kids, um, I've known a family for about 20 years that have Costello syndrome. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's mainly been, been sadly, it's, it's what, what, what the parents put together rather than anything official. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's what support, that's how you get information. I, I was speaking to... Um, uh, well, my, my husband was speaking to him actually, um, to Alastair Kent, who is um, uh, he's 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 uh, <clears throat> behind Rare Disease UK, and he was saying that in 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 Europe it really is um, just luck really when many people come across their diagnosis, um, mm. and there just isn't enough awareness um, of rare diseases, and that's what you know uh, that they're trying to do to. <laughs> To, to raise awareness of, of rare diseases um, and syndromes, you know, in our case. Um, but, yes, uh, yeah, there's it, not enough funding. And, uh, yeah, what everyone's trying to do is to get the governments more involved within Europe and, uh, and in the U.K. to, um, to Right, help. right. <laughs> so most people, um, most people end up coming to the states, or at least act trying to access or get a consult with, in the states, because there seems to be more of a focus. And maybe it's the activism. I don't know, but there seems to be, you know, more of a focus in in the United States. Am I wrong? I, yeah, um, no. I just, yeah. No, I, I think yeah. you're right, Hari. I think you know. It, it, well, we're 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 a big country, and and you know, when you look at some of the European countries in contrast. Right, right. Right. And, you know, we, we do, you know, the, the National Institutes of Health, you know, is a large entity and, and, and somewhat pressurized to, to do this. Um, but, but, but it's exciting also. I mean, we've, we, Your Hope um, is working with a family that's coming over um, from Australia in um, May, and I'm actually going to meet them up there. And, you know, they are so excited to be coming to the States. But we also, and, and it, Sue and I discussed this a couple weekends ago when we talked, it's, you know, it depends on your government. It depends on what type of medicine delivery system. You know, if you have socialized medicine, although I'm sure it has a better PC name now. I mean, it, it, a lot of it is, you know, out of our control to a certain extent. I certainly don't want to build the United States up as the best place to go for a diagnosis because what we heard very clearly um, in D.C. is it may be really great to get a diagnosis, but some of the best clinical trials for medications and other things are being done in Europe because exactly. they are not as trained. Yes. Um, you know, stem cell research, we are behind eminently compared right. to, to, to Europe. So I think, you know, every, every place has its, its, uh, its good points and, and some struggles. 
Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, we have more resources based towards, you know, we're much more of a diagnostic, and, you know, then we can treat. You know, we, it's, it's really often profit-driven. So, um, right. But, yeah, I, I, my experience is that there, uh, I always tell Mike when I was in practice, I would say, well, if you have the money, often the best clinical trials are overseas. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, so um, tell me a little bit, Anybody can jump in here. What was the theme? And I, I don't, I don't. I guess Sue, you weren't there this week. I don't know. I, I but um, so she was at the one in Europe. Yes, they had a rare okay. disease day, and she went to Britain. Okay. So what was what is there a general theme that came out this? You know that everybody said yes. That's where we're focused for the next year. About you know from this week, was there something that everybody left with you know like went back to the trenches with? Besides you know I know there's the legislature. Is there anything else that you can speak to? Well, I know out of our group of advocates that was you know that were brought together by Global Genes um, and the RDLA, the group our group we were really inspired, and I think we left with a mission of working together, you know, and collaborating with each other because, you know, we're all in the same boat. And, you know, I know that I, for one, made new connections and, you know, made lifelong friends, and it made me more driven to help out the rare, you know, the rare disease community as a whole. So I think for our part, for Mary Elizabeth and I's part, it was the, it was the desire and the drive you help each other out, collaborate, do whatever it takes, roll up your sleeves. There is no territory. This is, this is an issue. These issues that are faced in the rare disease and undiagnosed disease community, the, the lack of treatment, the time it takes for, you know, to get approved therapies and so on, you name them, there's a whole host of them. They're everybody's problem. Mm-hmm. It's not isolated to one group. You know, there are no bragging rights. There are no, you know, it's not anything to be territorial about, you know. We're all in it to get it done because if we make strides in one area, it benefits everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's important. That's that's very powerful because a lot of times these, it seems, you know, everybody's been struggling with and, and sort of sp- these groups have sprouted up for needs, you know, they start as very individual needs and they grow. And now, I mean, it's very, it's wonderful that that is now becoming more of a united front, you know, that you see yeah, that your needs and your goals are, are the same. I have no use for organizations or individuals who make this a contest. I, I don't, you know, if they have lost the sight of the focus of who they're supposed to be helping, which is the patient and their families, and they're more interested in squabbling amongst each other for whatever territory they feel they have a right to, I don't have any time for them. Because that kind, that kind of fighting costs people their lives. That's true. That's true. And it's a, such a it's such a struggle and such a, so much suffering. And that's the thing that really haunts me when I think about it is the absolute suffering and the and the, and the work it takes to find any answer or even come close and the constant journey. I mean, I was telling Sue earlier how much I and I and I bring it up again and please excuse me, but I am always overwhelmed by the 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 work it takes of caregivers. And and Heather, you too, you went through this. So both of you. It it's it's 
it opens my eye every time I hear the stories that you tell that of people I've had on the on my show. I mean, I I I just. I can't even imagine it, and I and I thank you for your commitment because every step that you've taken, you are helping somebody else. Every tear that you've shed, you're helping somebody else because you haven't given up, and that's mm-hmm. a remark. That's remarkable to me. I mean, I, I I'm I'm very much in awe of it. So I, I thank you. I thank you both for your amazing work. And, of course, Mary Elizabeth, I can't say enough about you, you know, so there we go. But, um, you know, really, I, I, I want you to know that there are people like me out there who just stand in awe of the day-to-day that you go through and the work that you do. And uh, thank you for it, you know. So, well, you um, know, thank you. Thank you, Hari. You know, when I was up there this week, it was kind of surreal for me because I had people come up and, say, oh, you're Heather Long, and my response was, well, it depends on what you heard and who you heard it from. <laughs> and that's <laughs> true about you, Heather. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, there was that time in band camp. Right. Uh, but, you know, I just, <laughs> it was just weird because that's not what I'm in it for. You know, I appreciate it. It means a lot to me when I hear things like that. But, you know, I love my son so much as I do my other two children, and if if it were my other two children, I'd be fighting just as hard. And if I could spare just one family the heartache and the loss that my family suffered, then it's worth it. I'm not in it for anything anything for myself. I want to help other people. That's why I do. That's what I'm supposed to do, you know. And it's just um, I'm always amazed at other people's strengths and what other people go through. Uh, because as bad as I think I had it, I hear stories that I feel like are ten times worse. And it's just, it is, it's very humbling, and I'm very, I'm very humbled by the other moms and dads and caregivers and patients that I have met through my journey. And um, it's just very important. I wouldn't change it, even as hard as it is every day, because I have to retell Cal's story over and over and over again. And so it's not like I can just, put it away and move on. It is painful. I'm not going to lie. But it would be even more painful for me to not do something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, I can't believe it, but we're coming down to the end. So I just want to, uh, in 30 seconds or uh, 30 seconds, yeah, we don't have much time left, but if each of you could just give, you know, your sage advice or some words of wisdom, uh, you know, to the people listening out there before we go. Sue, do you want to say something? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> I think it takes every day, day at a time, really. And, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. great. I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, don't I give up just, if you're looking for diagnosis. <laughs> don't I would give just up. say keep right. fighting. Yeah, don't yeah, give up. Yeah. Keep fighting. It is getting better. It might not it might not happen as fast or as you know efficiently as what we would hope or what we would want, but it is happening. Change is happening, and it's because of the effort of everybody like me and Mary Elizabeth and you that it, it that it's happening. Okay, Mary Elizabeth. Well, I, I think uh, remember you don't have to be alone, and that there are always yes. going to be people out there who want to help you on this journey. And reach out to your hope. Reach out to Swan. Reach out to whatever, you know, works for you, and, um, and, and, and you don't have to be by yourself because it is a lonely and really hard journey. Okay, everyone, I can't thank you enough. This has been a remarkable show, and, I, you know, Sue, 
Thank you. Thank you for calling in so late. And uh, yes, Heather, thank you for your work. I'm going to call my uh, congressman. And Mary Elizabeth, as always, thank you for your work with your hope. And uh, keep up, keep keep up, keep doing it. You're doing great work, all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hari. Thank you, Hari. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening. That was a remarkable show. Uh, you can find a link on my website, Healthcare Whisperer, on the right-hand corner of the page. In about two hours, it will be uplinked. Uh, you can also go to Blog Talk Radio. So, uh, you know, take time to listen. This was an amazing show. There's a lot of people out there who are walking this path. And everyone, good night and enjoy, and we'll be back uh, in two weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye.